The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Barely Filtered. Today, we've got an absolutely fascinating guest joining us, someone who's lived a life filled with twists and turns that you wouldn't believe it if it were a movie. Rachel Yucatel is a woman of immense strength and resilience. She's faced the kind of adversity that would break most people, but she's come out of the other side stronger, wiser, and with a hell of a story to tell. We're going to dig deep into her life journey today, from her early experiences to unexpected turns that led her to the center of public attention. We'll explore her path of self-discovery, her moments of transformation, and the valuable lessons she's learned along the way. Rachel Yucatel's story is a testament to the human spirit and the capacity for growth, redemption, and reinvention. So folks, get ready for an eye-opening and inspiring conversation with the incredible Rachel Yucatel. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited. You're absolutely stunning. Like oh, beyond. You. It's you are some I need whatever formula you have so that I can look as good as you. But I mean, I've heard your name over the years. You know, you've been in the press once or twice. But before we get into all of that, I want to go way back to the beginning because, you know, I'm doing some research on you going into this week's episode. And you have quite an interesting upbringing as far as your family life and the school that you went to and experiences you experienced as a young child. Can you kind of I think that'll paint a picture of who you are and why you are the way you are. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your show. I've been watching your show for a while. I think you guys are gorgeous, beautiful, but even more so you're super smart and you bring really interesting content and I love watching it. So thank you. It's an honor to be here. So yeah, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. My parents started cable television there. They met on a date in New York City and went there just to check it out and ended up staying there. My parents got divorced when I was five. I moved back to New York with my mother who ended up raising me as a single mom in New York City. And, you know, to speed this up, it didn't really go so well with my mom. She went back to school. She went and got a job. I was raised by my housekeeper pretty much. And my mother and I didn't get along. She sent me to a boarding school when I was 12, uh, almost 13 at the time. And it ended up being a therapeutic boarding school. Now, I had never had sex. I had never drank. I had never done drugs. I was not really truant. I just really didn't get along with her and she didn't know how to deal with me. So that's the reason I was sent to this therapeutic boarding school. I know that people are sent to them for all different reasons. The people that I went to that school with, I went to a place called CEDU in Running Springs, California. People were sent there that were sort of criminals as kids, um, very sexually active. A lot of famous kids famous kids' children went there. The reason why I'm saying all this is because it kind of didn't matter what the kids were into. It was just their parents really weren't hearing them, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think they were really acting out because they didn't feel seen, loved, heard. Some of them had some real issues, but I think for the most part, that's, in my opinion, why kids at that age were really acting out. And the fact that a lot of people's um, kids were there who were very famous was because they were choosing their career or something else over that them and the kids didn't know how to deal with it. So I was sent there. It was a very different kind of school. You couldn't wear certain clothes. You couldn't listen to certain music. You couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't have relationships with boys or girls, whatever the opposite sex was. They didn't believe in being gay. And it was a very physically active school. We did a lot of outward bound type of stuff for 14 days, um, five days, seven days in different increments. Um, We were forced to work on a farm for the first six months that you're there. 
And we were forced to go to something called raps, which three times a week, you sit in a room with 20 people and they yell at you about the worst things about you. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. Later, the school was closed down for, they found out that the school was based on the Synanon cult, which was something created in LA many years before for addicts. And then they took the premise of what that was based on and, and felt like they could teach kids how to behave and change their lifestyle. Um, and it's been closed down for abuse since. I mean, a oh lot of guys. It really kind of reminds me of, remember and, Paris Hilton had a similar story like that. Did she, do you know if she went to that school? She went to CEDU. Yeah. Oh, I graduated did? from there. Paris didn't go for that long. And then she was sent to another sister school, but CEDU is the original school where this was created. I was there for three, over three, three and a half years. I graduated from the program um, I ran away a couple times. I was sent to juvenile hall. Go um, you. I mean, go you for like, you know, having that fight in you. <laughs> for sure. Because I'm sure what they try to do is just break you down. And it sounds they, like you were hard to break. <laughs> they do. But, you know, after being there. So also my father didn't like the school and tried to sort of kidnap me from there. He sent me money in a Rick Astley <laughs> CD, which was co- considered contraband at the time. <sighs> and I saved the money. It was a thousand dollars. I hitchhiked down the mountain. And soon after my father died, actually, he Mm -hmm. died of a drug overdose. So I, he was my last way out. And I sort of just had to be like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to go with it. And so I was like the head of the dinner dishes committee. I was telling other kids (laughs) how to behave and what they were doing wrong because I just felt like if I kept going against the grain, I was just going to constantly be in trouble. So the point of what you were saying in your sort of intro is that I have a different upbringing because I never went home after that. I lost one parent. My other parent, I never trusted again. I have a very bad relationship with my mother because she sent me away when I was little and I went to a bo- you know college after that. And I, I've never lived at home since. So I've really missed the sense of family. Wow. wow. And also you're going at 12, 13 years old. These are prime years as a woman. So like, how did you feel when your mom is like, oh, by the way, you're going here? Like, what do you feel like as a woman during that time? That is a rough age. Well, she didn't tell me. She left me there. She said that we were going to see the school. And then when I was on the tour, she just left. (gasps) And I never, you know, got to even speak to her after that about it, which is why I still to this day feel that feeling of being abandoned, you know, because when things happen when you're younger, I think those feelings really stick with you. You know, it's it's a really it's a really hard thing because you also weren't allowed to have relationships with kids of the opposite sex. So I didn't have my first kiss after that till I was almost 17. And I didn't really I mean, I knew how to interact with boys because we were with them all the time. But we you know, I didn't know sexually how to interact. So I sort of lost my virginity later in life. Uh, Well, it was like 17 or 18, but it was, you know, under it was a different way to, right. to grow up. Let's just say Do you that. feel like you're able to, because you have one daughter, right? I have one daughter, yeah. Do you, do you feel like you're able to kind of heal your your mommy wounds in, in your parenting your, of your own daughter? I do. I mean, I hope that I do. You know, I disagree with my ex-husband or my mother about therapy, for example. I don't believe in therapy because I was that was shoved down my throat when I was younger. My mother sent me to therapy from when I was five until I went away to that boarding school twice a week. And I just think kids need to be listened to. There's nothing wrong with therapy. I go to a therapist now, like I get it, I'm older. But if you kind of give a label to a child that something's wrong, I think it makes it more difficult. So I 
am constantly trying to get her to open up and talk to me. And she thinks I'm super annoying, but I think it's important <laughs> to have that dialogue with your kid yeah, uh, because they hide so much, especially after COVID when they kind of raised themselves on the internet and social media and, and, you know, learned so much. My daughter is 11 going on like 18. She's so above and beyond, like the conversations that come out of her are crazy. I don't even know how she talks like that, but it's because she's so, you know, she's just so aware of stuff. So I really think it's important to have those conversations and make her feel heard. And I always say to her, if you tell the truth, I ke- I'm not going to get angry, but just mm-hmm. you got to tell me so I can either help you or I can understand you because I think that's really important. And it's so sad to see these kids like that are bullied at school, for example, and they don't want to tell their parents and they end up killing themselves because know, they're so ashamed of things they've done or things that they're being accused of doing. And I never want to have that kind of dialogue with my daughter or even her friends. I think it's really important. It's it's a sad time. So with your daughter, do you have rules? I mean, you've been exposed in, in the media and now it's a different world with social media. Do you guys have rules around social media for her? Well, I mean, we do have rules, but because (laughs) these kids these days are so savvy, I mean, she knows how to unlock my phone and change like the time, whatever that is, where you can turn off like their screen time. She knows how to figure all that stuff out. I think that, you know, I always have to monitor what she's doing on TikTok or Snapchat. Like, I don't want her to be on these things, but I also have to realize that's part of our society now. And like, I'm not going to prevent her from not seeing things because then she'll be completely sheltered. We're from New York City. We're not sheltered people. So we, yeah, we have rules. She can't, you know, be mean to people. She has to be accepting of all people. She has to listen uh, and hear people out. You know, I, I don't ever like to hear that if she's a part of anything negative and I try and use those as moments to teach her. What about like phones in the bedroom at night or like, do you take away phone at any certain time or is it, it, and I'm purely just curious because my kids aren't quite there yet, but I'm like, when do I take away? When's the last time you took away her phone? (laughs) I should, but you know, she's actually pretty good about the addiction. I think is hard, right. To get her to put it down the scrolling or whatever. I don't mind when she's on the phone with her friends and they're doing homework or they're chatting. She's an only child. So sometimes I feel Mm -hmm. like she gets lonely if she's just hanging out with me. You know, that's not that fun. (laughs) So sometimes she'll be like watching TV and she'll be on the phone with her friend and they're watching the same show. I don't have a problem with that. No, but she's good about putting her phone down before bed. I try and tell her that an hour before she can't be on the phone so that she can kind of calm down, you know, so I, I don't have rules yet like that until she abuses it. And if she I abuses like it, yeah, of course. I have no problem taking the phone away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys might remember our episode that we did with ClearStem. ClearStem Skincare is a revolutionary skincare brand that is both anti-aging and anti-acne with zero known hormone disruptors. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm in well into my 30s now and still struggle with acne sometimes. And we know that it's just, it's from the inside out. And a lot of times it has to do with hormones. And we feel like this is a battle we're just never going to win. If you've ever dealt with breakouts, you know that acne products dry and damage the skin. But on the flip side, anti-aging products oftentimes cause breakouts because they're made with this thick, pore-clogging fillers. So ClearStem created the anti-aging, anti-acne, free-of-hormone disruptor category in skincare based on years of experience running San Diego Acne Clinic and taking a holistic root cause approach for acne. It combines all three categories of skincare. Anti-aging meets anti-acne meets clean beauty. 
Personally, I have been using them for a few months now. I love the Cell Renew, which is a collagen stem cell serum. And I also love the Bounce Back. It's like a no-Botox serum is what they call it. So if you guys are looking to try out anti-aging, anti-acne skincare, visit clearstemskincare.com and use code BARELYFILTERED for 15% off. That's clearstem.com and use code BARELYFILTERED for 15% off your order. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from addiction almost nine years ago, I have been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life. And I'm sharing everything with you from how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures. I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with the industry's top experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Well, going going back to New York, I know you're in Florida now, but you kind of started off your career. I know you worked at Bloomberg and ha- actually have a, a great career path, but you worked as a nightclub manager and hostess in New York City. You became kind of known for your social connections, taking care of people. You were good at your job. I kind of want to know who or what was the like, who was the craziest celebrity or interactment or experience you had like in those 2000 club eras before social media when people could just do whatever the hell they wanted? Okay. So my career started in Vegas. I opened up town nightclub in Vegas and people get this wrong. I'm not correcting you because you didn't do your research, but I know it's written that I was like a nightclub manager. I was the director of VIP operations. I had a very big job and it, you know, and I dealt with a lot of celebrities. I loved that job. It was so much fun for me. And coming from a position where I had my own live show for Bloomberg news, I was very good at like this wax on wax off of like figuring out how to move very quickly with things. So running this, the number one nightclub in the world with the biggest celebrities coming in on every given night, I was very good at it. I took my job really seriously. Um, The most interesting celebrities that came in, I mean, we literally had everyone from Madonna to Britney Spears to Prince um, to Derek Jeter, you know, like all sorts of walks of life of people. I probably met everyone. Um, You know, somebody that I, I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny that Jamie Foxx would come in and we knew that he that he really loved sex on the beach for a drink. So he would have, <laughs> no, he would did- have us pour out the vodka bottles at, with the vodka and we have to put sex in the beach in it. And then when a song would come on, he would drink from the bottle and it was really sex in the beach. It wasn't vodka. That's amazing. That kind of did he want a little umbrella yeah. in his cocktail too? <laughs> That's amazing. And it um, sounds like you also, were like prepped so- from boarding school, from dealing with like celebrities, just knowing how to deal with these people who maybe are used to being <laughs> yeah, privileged. But, but also what's funny is that there are people that you read about them in the press, obviously, as we all know, and they're totally different in person, mm-hmm. right? So Kevin Federline, for example, Britney Spears' husband, who people would at the time especially made it seem like he was kind of a dirtbag and a joke and a backup dancer or whatever he was. And it was just her ex-husband at the time. He would come in dressed in a three-piece suit, very respectful. Um, just I was always impressed with that guy. Huh. I was like shocked because the write-up on him was totally different. You yeah, know, yeah, I mean? he was kind of like this, the like I don't know, like arm candy of Britney Spears, right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, there was always people that you would think they're such great people, and then you would find out they were really disrespectful. You know, so something else on the opposite side. So, 
uh, it was an interesting job to have. Well, that kind of leads me into my next question because, you know, you were exposed to, you know, high elite people, celebrities, if you will. So you were used to this crowd, but then all of a sudden your world gets turned upside down. You know, I we don't want to dig too much into the Tiger Woods scandal, but I want to know how the hell did you get out of that alive? Because you were like, that was like peak paparazzi time, right? It was a peak paparazzi time. It was not a time of social media though yet. We didn't have phones like that yet. So the, so let me just preface it by saying my job was really to protect celebrities and their lives <laughs> or their webs or whatever, and make sure that they were protected like a gatekeeper. So having this kind of scandal come out about me was very devastating to me because I didn't want to be part of something like mm-hmm. that. And also it was my job to not let that stuff get out. So that being said, at the time you asked how I got out of it, I didn't really. I, I still, it still affects me to this day. You know, my daughter just started a private school here in Florida. Don't think that I don't hear whispers of people saying, what's she doing in the school? Like, oh God, you know, listen, for the most part now, it's been 14 years. If people can't get over it, that's their issue, not mine anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's been very difficult because obviously as anyone should know when you make an awful mistake. It's something that goes with you. And that's what you deal with, with your head on the pillow every night. Right. But then to have the whole world comment in about it, shame you for it, want to take their issues out on you for it. Kind of, it's been very difficult. And I've had to one person at a time, anytime they meet me, just like you guys are meeting me today for the first time, clearly you have thoughts in your head because you've read stuff and it's, and it's always hard for me to know that that's, the case and realize that I have to kind of go at each person one at a time and hope that they judge me for who I am around them because that's who I am. It's not who the media has portrayed me. And I felt really misunderstood my whole life, which is why I have this podcast now called Misunderstood because I feel like so many people are reduced to a single headline. Totally. And mm-hmm. I've been on and I've been on a mission to change my narrative for, you know, 14 years. And I think it's a very common mistake that happens with people in the press and not only that in people's lives. I mean, it could be your next door neighbor, right? Yeah. I do kind of feel like that's like old, very old, old news. Like I actually didn't even know that until I just read this. I was like, oh, hmm. but like, I don't like it. It makes no difference to me because I feel like there's, I don't know. It's like, it's too old. Well, for sure. But I'm doing research. <laughs> too like, old gossip. <laughs> it is. But like, I just feel, I feel for you as a woman because you see these headlines or you saw those headlines as like, mistress or all these things. And then I'm reading about you and I'm like, she had her show at Bloomberg. Like you, you're an educated, smart woman. Like there's so much more depth to you. I feel like nowadays though, with, with social media, it's like, we hear of this stuff so much more quickly and it's all the time everywhere where like, it was only the press back then where we would like, you know, we'd hear of this one scandal. Now there's like 20 scandals happening all the time that (laughs) we're just always fed. So it's like, it feels like, I don't know, less of a blow. (laughs) I wanted to know too, like you, obviously signed an NDA and that's that's public information. But and I know you can't get into details and I I absolutely respect that. But what would you say to women? Because I've had friends who have, you know, ex athlete has a wife and three kids and, you know, get slapped with an NDA. Do you have advice for these women who are, you know, given a piece of paper that they might not understand? Well, get a lawyer and read the fine print, obviously. But, you know, NDAs, I actually think they're very important. And they work as long as they're not being signed to cover up bad behavior. If you're signing something because you are assisting somebody with covering up their bad behavior, no matter how much money you're being paid or whatever the agreement is, that is never going to be worth 
your credibility, your self-esteem, you're going to be affected by that for the rest of your life. So just make sure you know what you're signing. But I do think that when somebody gets in a relationship or even in a business relationship with someone and you can't share their private things, that's no one else's business, that makes sense. But again, if if it's to then hide things that have happened to you or, you know, any sort of abuse or, you know, then of course that's not acceptable. What was that like for you as a woman to feel like, you know, you're in the press and people are assuming these things or writing this narrative that may not be true? You obviously knew the truth more than anyone. What was that like as a woman? Did you feel silenced? Yes, I felt silenced, but I, you know, I... How do I answer that? I I did feel silence. It was very, very difficult for me. But what the worst thing for me was having everyone comment on a topic that was to this day, something that people bring up and talk about and regurgitate and give their opinion on like they're involved in it. And to not be able to, to set the record straight or to give my side or to correct people was very toxic in my own head. And also for relationships. I mean, I'm still single. I'm 48 years old. I haven't been able to have a real relationship with a man, I think, because of that. Because people, sometimes men don't want to introduce me to their friends or their wives or their, you know, the last guy I dated a year and a half ago, his friends disinvited us to a dinner at a private club because they found out who I was. And I was like, get over it, people. Would you disinvite? Tiger, Tiger Woods. No, if, if he was invited for it's dinner, it's so infuriating the it's double disgusting. standard, and it kind of goes back to this like, um, who who is yeah, Hilaria Baldwin has this podcast called like uh, Witch something about like it's it, it's basically from like the beginning of time like women have been made witches, and it's like it's always the woman's fault. They want to vi- like villainize the woman, and it's this poor man that we were like you know we were just too beautiful they couldn't resist, but it's like our fault because we're yeah. too hot. Wait, oh, I just right. this just popped That's my mind. Dumb, and then I just want. <laughs> to say one thing it's like i somebody a bunch of people forwarded me these two women started a podcast recently who are quite i don't know if you call them famous but famous enough (laughs) and their opening podcast was about me and the situation that happened 14 years ago stop it and i'm thinking why are these two women talking about that and talking about how i stole this you know man from this woman and i'm like and i'm sure they call themselves a feminist yeah it's like (laughs) oh you're a feminist why why would anyone be regurgitating that two people that don't know me two people that have read enough about the scenario to know that there was 20 other women yeah it wasn't just me and there was no stealing going on if you've ever been in a relationship people say things to make things okay and also listen not for anything, but if a powerful man is telling you things and they love you and all this stuff, and you're a young girl that suffers from some major Mm -hmm. love issues, right? That was my sense of worth. I thought I was loved because someone like that, who everyone else wanted to know just to be in their presence, if they're telling me they can't live without me, I mean, that was for me saying, you know, I had somebody who loved me. And that's what I craved. And this was not like for the public to know about, but unfortunately the public got involved. But, right. And I know, would argue I that a lot of women would have done should, that. Oh, should yeah. be over. Oh, Sorry, okay. But- last question on that, because now that you're in Palm Beach, do you, are you like, oh my God, am I going to run into him? <laughs> it's a small yeah. town. No, it's a small town, but he doesn't live there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on to that. I want to know some positives out of that. What are some key takeaways from that experience that still haunts you today, obviously, or is with you, but you, you've made a name for yourself. You're doing your own things. Now you have misunderstood. 
what are some key takeaways and lessons that you've learned, you know, over the last 15 years? And not just from hit that experience, you know, you you had a, a fiance you lost in 9-11 as well. Like you've gone through some shit. Like what are some key takeaways now that you're like, thank God I've learned this lesson? Well, I, I mean, I, I'll bring up the the metaphor about the karate kid again with the wax on, wax off. I've had so many life experiences that I realize later all come together and I'm like super resilient. I'm like, super tough. Like you can't get anything by me. I can go through anything. I've been through losing my father. I've been through being sent to this, you know, terrible boarding school. I've been through 9-11, losing my fiance and having a very famous photo run of me across the, the world. And then I've been through an international scandal, you know, and no one got me out of it, but me, everyone, you know, left me during the hard times, mm-hmm. pretended they didn't know me. And then you know, I was the only one to pick myself up every time I realized I'm my own catcher. And I I have had the difficulty of looking for that in other people, in men or whatever. And that always fails. So that's the biggest lesson for me to know that like, I have to care about me. I will have the right answer. I will know what's best for me. No one tells me what to do. And that's made me kind of tough and have some walls up, but it's gotten me this far. And I've I'm constantly like, you know, trying to reinvent myself, make myself better, learn from lessons. I have a tattoo down my spine that says without pain, happiness has no meaning. And I truly believe that life is like a pendulum and you have to live and marinate in the moments that are like awful Mm -hmm. to be able to enjoy and really feel what it's like to be happy. And, you know, so I, I really try and learn from those experiences and not be like, oh my God, my life is so awful. I'm at at the bottom of the barrel, how am I going to ever get out? I've learned now that could be the beginning of a great story. That could be the beginning of a great upward trend. So, right. And also such an inspiration for other women. Cause I mean, how many women are the other woman? I mean, for Mm -hmm. every scandal, there's somebody on the other side. It's like, yeah. And and it's, it's just so, I think that our culture is just starting to come around to the fact that the two way street. It's, it's a not two-way just the woman. <laughs> and it's like, why are we villainizing the woman? And oh, and we always forget about the man. It's like, how about all the, the the wounds that were left behind for all of the women that he, you know, yeah, and it's used like, his power on. And how? Why are we not talking about how good men are? Not not just men, women as well, but at leading these double lives. I know. Like, is there like a whole team protecting these men, like so that they can get away with? Yes. It? Yes, that's, a bunch of lawyers, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, that's, you see it all the time in the media, you know. So, I whatever. Just from even running nightclubs, I know men very well, and oh, yeah. I know people mm-hmm. very well, you know. And people will live one life in the public and have another life in in private. Some of the time, I mean, not all the time. I don't. I can't because I'm, you know, sort of a public figure at this mm-hmm. point where people will be the first to like sell a story if they see me spitting gum out on the. Yeah, I'm so careful about anything I do because I get nervous that, you know, it's going to be reported on. So I just I'm always super careful of how I talk to people, what I'm doing, you know, who I'm associating with. um, And I've become kind of a recluse because of it, you know, Mm. but yeah. Do you feel like in friendships or with men, you're kind of um, standoffish at first or what's your kind of I guess, like, how do you feel in those situations? Do you feel like people are after me because of this? Or can I trust this guy? Do you have trust issues? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I have boundary issues, like where I put up too many boundaries and I cut someone off very quickly. If they disappoint me or they lie or they do something sketchy, I'm just like done with them. Mm -hmm. I won't put up with it. 
but I try to trust people and I, I mean, I'm very open to, to people and having them in my life, but I will see very quickly what the reasons is. Cause I'll hear the questions they ask me. I'll hear what their, you know, what their association with me is and I'll, and I'll see what they want from me. And I just won't put, I won't put up with it. I you love know? That. So it makes it really tough for me because I definitely, I want a witness to my life. I want someone to be a family. I want my daughter to have a really good male figure in her life. It's just super hard to find someone. Yeah, <laughs> it really you know, is. Do you know of anyone? <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Doing some thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, but really. uh, what I love too is that you've taken something that you, like you said, you could have been victimized and my life is terrible. I'm at the bottom, all these things. You could have, but you've really done a good job at making a, a name for yourself in such a positive way. You're doing speaking engagements and now you have this podcast, Misunderstood, which takes people's stories, correct me if I'm wrong, and really shows a different side and light to their truth. So tell us kind of like how this journey and this baby of yours began and where you're at with that. So I had been doing, you know, a lot of other people's podcasts and talking about stuff. I've been writing a book and I just thought that this title of like misunderstood really resonated with me. And, you know, any day when you open up something in the media, you see about some celebrity or some story about someone. And because I've been through it, and also, sorry, let me say, I, I also hear people regurgitating that story, right? And, I'm, and I've always been thinking to myself, but how can all these people sit around the water cooler, so to speak, and talk like this, like they have any authority on what's going on when they really don't? They have no idea. And I came from my Bloomberg background, which is you have to be very down the middle. You know, you watch CNN or Fox these days, and there's a lot of opinion based in how it's reported. So I've always thought, you know, it's not fair because I will see how the media portrays a, a subject or a person, and then the public, you know, feeds on that. And I, I really wanted to have a platform where I wasn't being interviewed for this stupid mistake I made 15 years ago. 14 years ago, but I was being able to give a platform to people that were similar to me that felt misunderstood. So I talk about subjects that I think should be reconsidered that are controversial, maybe that I think are very misunderstood. Like I've talked about, you know, ketamine being used as therapy for depression. I've Mm -hmm. talked about assisted suicide for people that are terminally ill, things like that. And then I've also had people on that feel very misunderstood from Cato Kalin, who was reduced to a headline because of his involvement in the OJ Simpson trial, Greg Luganis, who was the Olympic diver who hit his head on the board and was hiding that he had um, AIDS and was gay, you know, to Rudy Giuliani, who was a hero when I, you know, when I experienced him during 9-11, right? But nowadays, everyone thinks he's completely lost his marble. So, you know, I have the gamut of people because I find them interesting and I try and interview them from a perspective of, I just really want to hear your side. And I'll, I have all these interviews that happen and people will comment and be like, how could you interview that person? Mm-hmm. They're so awful. But, you know, how do you know they're awful? You've never spoken to them. We so deal with that all the time. <laughs> Quite often. Yeah. They're like, how dare you give a platform? It's like, you know, what's more dangerous. Silencing people's yeah. freedom yeah. of speech. That's mm-hmm. more dangerous. Who, who People that have a platform that give their opinion when it's based 
not in facts and not giving the other side. So I think it's really important to have a platform where you hear all sides. We've all heard, you know, whatever the media has made the story be. And then I want to hear from the person themselves, what their side is. And then if you decide to hate them afterwards, that's your own prerogative because you've heard it from their mouth. And, And so who has been maybe your favorite guest or who would be like a dream guest? Whose story well, do you want to know? My guest would be, I have two, Manti Teo. Oh. Uh, do you guys good, remember him? Yes. From, no. You want to know, hear a funny story? With Manti no. Teo, the, was it a girl guy that was messaging him? First, it was a guy pretending yeah, to be yeah, a girl. Yeah, pretending to be a girl. Oh, yes. Messaged Tyler, my husband, and was me- texting him saying, I'm going to come to the game at USC. Me and my girlfriends want to like hang out with your guy friends. This is like pre me. He's like, yeah, we'll all get together. And then like she like bailed, said she had cancer, all this stuff. And he's like, something's weird. Like she doesn't want to take a phone call. Anyway, that was the same wow. person. Wild. Wow. Huh? So, so to huh. me, he would be great. And then also Conrad Murray, I'd love to have on. He um, is the doctor that killed Michael Jackson. <gasps> that would be uh, good. Yeah, but he wants $50,000. So I don't oh, think God. that's in the budget for a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we can raise <laughs> funds for this one because I want to hear <laughs> we'll it. crowdfund. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my but, God. Um, you know, so people like that, that obviously have been in the press. And I just, I would love to hear from them. But I have my favorite person. I mean, I have so many favorites. I really do. But I'll say two. Lee Asher, if you guys are animal fans from the Asher house, you should follow him. He's unbelievable. He quit his job and now has a sanctuary for animals in Oregon. He has like millions of followers. You are in tears every time you see these rescues that he does. He's such an inspirational guy. And then the other one that I really loved was Sarma Melangalis from Netflix's Bad Vegan. Did you guys ever watch oh, that? Oh, yeah. No. You guys have to watch that. That was yeah, good. It's so good. People, after watching the show, you didn't know whether or not she was a criminal and completely psycho or if she had just been in a really bad relationship and been manipulated by this man. So she gave me an exclusive interview and now I'm friends with her. I think she's fantastic. So I love when I can um, really get to know someone and create a a relationship from it. That's so cool. And did I hear, did you just like slide in that you're writing a book? I am writing a book. Yeah. Tell us about that. I cannot wait. Is it a biography? Autobiography? And are you you allowed to spill the beans? Are we going to hear Rachel's full story? I'm going to tell my full story. Let's fucking go. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Wait. Okay. So what's that process like with you? Is it therapeutic? Are you having fun? Is it scary? What's it like? It's a little bit therapeutic because I've had all these stories in my head and these things that I've wanted to get out for a really long time. It's been interesting. You know, I have the proposal written. It's like a 90 page proposal. And it's interesting that you'll hear from, yeah, I have an amazing agent. He's one of the best agents out there. And the feedback at the beginning was tending to be like, oh, we need more of that thing she's known for. And that like that is not my book. My book is me, my whole life. I mm-hmm. am so much more of an interesting person than that one thing that people know me for, which right. is why I think the book will be so great mm-hmm. because people will read it and be like, oh my God, wait, I can totally, you know, I understand this person because I've been through something, maybe not the same thing, but the similar experience or the feelings. And, you know, I think they wanted it to be a very scandalous book and it is going to be a tell all about everything. But, you know, that one story that everyone wants may be a chapter as opposed to, you know, the entire book. That's just one chapter of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we'll see. I'm still working on it. I'm deciding who I want to go with because I want it to be 
the right thing. I'm not, I don't need to sensationalize anything and for anybody. Absolutely. And I think in to from a business perspective, you really need someone that has your back because, you know, yeah. like anything, you're going to have people in the comments saying X, Y, and Z, and you just need someone to stand by you through it all. I'm really excited. I, I'm going to, I need a signed copy. That's going to be awesome. I can't <laughs> oh, wait to sweet. read that. Yeah. Is it going to be called <laughs> Misunderstood? Um, they have a bunch of working titles, okay. none of which I'm know. into. Okay. I like Misunderstood, but I think they want it to be a little more dramatic. But yeah. Oh, I, I like it. I, think I that's hope a great it, I hope that it's misunderstood. Yeah. So uh, on that note, I mean, if you have any questions or I wanted to end with when people think of you, Rachel, you could tell what do you hope they remember you as? What do you want to leave your legacy as? That's a really good question. I would like them to think about the words misunderstood, honestly, and how, you know, people can make mistakes, but they can rise above or learn from them. And you do not have to be defined by one thing in your life. That's just something that happened. And who you become after is the most important thing. So I hope that people will think of my name and realize, oh my God, she's been through two major, major, I don't know if crises in the world, mm -hmm. but two major things, September 11th, and then a really big scandal with one of the biggest people in the world, right? Yeah. And, how, and how do you define yourself when you're put, thrust in the spotlight then. I think it's an important lesson to learn. And I'm constantly on a mission to learn from it and be better from it. And of course I make mistakes, but I really do try and, you know, be a Renaissance woman of sorts and figure things out and hear people out and listen. So that's how I'd like to be remembered as someone who did things for a certain reason. And I don't want to be misunderstood forever. I, I, love love that. That. I, yeah, love I love that. I love that. I love that. A little compassion for everybody. And 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 I believe in a chance to rewrite your story every second of the day. You know, it, you don't have to live with what you who you were yesterday, right? That's mm -hmm. like yeah. I, I fully believe in that. Um, everyone deserves a second chance and everyone loves a comeback. So yes. Just, yes. Anyone who's feeling bad about their life right now, you know, that you do not have to live in that moment. Yes, I love a good comeback story. <laughs> well, on that note, Rachel, you are absolutely lovely. And I'm just so happy we got time with you. And I cannot wait to read this book. Yeah, me too. And everyone Thank go check guys, out Misunderstood. So Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and your podcast? Sure. My podcast is anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify. It's also on the video version is on YouTube. And it's called Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel, spelled M-I-S-S, -S, understood. And I'm also on Instagram. I do read my DMs and reply. And that's Rachel Yucatel NYC. Awesome. Well, Yay. thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. We'll be cheering you on. Thank you, guys. Bye. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.